Hello, I'm Sean McCangus and this is episode 23 of the Highland League podcast season 2. Today's guest is Huntley assistant manager Stefan Laird. In this interview, he talks about his time at Rangers, moving to Blackpool, career ending injuries, his move into coaching and much more. Hope you enjoy this interview. What are your earliest memories of football? My earliest memories of the player are, are obviously been taken along by my by my dad. Um, my dad played himself in Scotland and in England, and then and then sort of ran his own business and sort of stayed involved in the game a bit um, through his whole his whole sort of life. So he he sort of took me to seven sides. It was an organisation called the Guruk uh, Yak. Uh, just where I lived in, in Greenock outside Glasgow and it was a sort of seven aside set up where you would you would go every week and you didn't have you didn't play for a team um, you just went every week and you got divided up into teams of seven and you played a sort of a tournament every week sort of with different players in your team but the standard was quite high and it's got a really good reputation for sort of producing players so that was my earliest sort of memory of, of playing organised um, football and I played that all the way up until until thirteen. Uh, I didn't have a didn't play for a sort of Sunday league team uh, until then. So I remember going to the Morton games and a couple of Rangers games with my dad when when I was younger. But I actually been on the pitch myself in an organised sort of format. That's probably the earliest I can remember. I think it was, it was good. Yeah. So um. So what? How how did the opportunity come around to to get um in at Rangers? Yeah, really quickly, uh, to be honest. So after we played the so I came out of the seven asides and it was it was time to go and uh and, and join a sort of organised <coughs> an amateur team. Yeah, uh, I signed for a team called Howwood. Uh my dad obviously was just in control of, of where I went and, and and who I played for. I didn't really care. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, which probably these days is quite rare. <laughs> um so I signed for the worst team in the league. Um, which is probably by design uh, by my dad looking back at it now I've never actually spoke about it I'll need to ask him because um, I probably imagine I could have played for the majority of the teams in the league but I signed for the, the worst team and when I say worst team I mean getting beat 11-0 every yeah. week <laughs> worst team so yeah no, I was there for uh, a season so up till nearly my, my sort of 14th um, birthday and then I went to uh team in the same league uh, called Port Glasgow Boys Club which is just where right next to where I'm from um, they were a, bit, a much better side Port Glasgow is quite a uh, working class area it's not somewhere that you're going to go and get an easy Saturday afternoon mm. um, so no I absolutely loved it there and was there for a season and very quickly after I was there for sort of six months um, sort of Rangers contacted my dad to let them know that they were they were watching and they were interested um, I wasn't told until I was told basically right you're, you're going to train with Rangers on Tuesday uh, at Murray Park and yeah it was quite a quite a shock but yeah apparently I'd been on for, for three or four months um, previous obviously without my knowledge so yeah no I was thrown in the car and an optimal guy we went and, and that was that so yeah I was on trial for probably the rest of the season um, 
and yeah, it was to say it was a a bit of a culture shock at the time would be an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So, so what 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 was it like um, being so young, like getting the switch from from where you were at to to Rangers? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I was never really given time to sort of worry about it. Mm. If you know, I mean, the, the way my dad sort of done it, I, I was just sort of, like I say, told last minute. So I probably had about a day and a half to to panic. <laughs> and uh, and obviously, you know, I, remember, I, I can still remember to this day getting up in the car um, for the first training session. I had to leave school early, which was a big deal. That everybody knew you were going up to train at Rangers because you were leaving school early. So everybody was kind of talking about it. So that was a wee bit added, um, added pressure. And... Uh, no, you remember feeling outrageously sick, get up in the, get up in the car, and then obviously I'd never even seen the training ground before. Mm. Um, it was maybe only a year and a half since, maybe two years, three years since it was it was built. So it was still relatively, you know, brand new. Blue Heaven, um, the documentary. I don't know if you remember that was was getting filmed, mm. uh, and obviously you pull up at the big the big blue gates with the Rangers crest on and the big electronic gates and the security guard lets you in and you're met with this massive state-of-the-art training ground with all the players' cars that you're watching on the, the television in the car park and you're taking in and giving your tour and yeah, yeah it was uh, it was mind-blowing but again you're you're not given time to sort of digest it you're in showing around there's your kit let's go and, and, and you're straight out to training and then the, the real adjustment begins yeah so how, how did you find that in terms of um, your first training session and getting up and running. Yeah, ma- massively, massively different. Obviously, the every single player there is is a really good player. Um, obviously, when you're training with your boys' club team and the team I was coming from at the time were a good side. You've got three or four boys in the team that are maybe training with different clubs, training with Motherwell or, or training with Hamilton or sort of Clyde and all Albion Rovers. And these teams didn't have youth setups when when I, when I was that age so it was only really the sort of bigger clubs in the SPL so you maybe had three or four boys in the in the team on a Sunday that were that were of that level and then the rest obviously are are a mixed bag whereas when you go in there at, at Murray Park the ball's moving at 10 times the speed everybody's touch is perfect but it was the tactical side of it um, I had never seen team shaping before I had never trained mm. a football session without the ball that wasn't running um, so they would have us in and you know we would, we would literally walk through our passing patterns on the pitch without a ball um, so that was quite strange uh, for me at the start but you soon realise the, the benefit and, and you get that understanding and obviously now as a coach it's, you really understand the, <laughs> the, the value of it but probably at that age you didn't um, but yeah, just all the, the sort of the, the addition of the sports science, the recovery work, the gym work, working with different members of uh, of staff. You know, you're going from from volunteers at Sunday League to, to teams that have got four or five members of, of full time staff, and it's, it's first class. And obviously, then at the time, Rangers were absolutely flying mm-hmm. as as we were Celtic played in sort of latter stages of of European competitions with players in there like Barry Ferguson and the, the De Boers and Michael Moles and Stefan Kloss. Yeah, incredible people to be able to watch them, to watch them every day. And you soon sort of realised if you got up to training early, um, which I invariably did, my dad made sure he had me there at least 45 minutes early. <laughs> um, 
the, there was the crossover then, Sean, between the players that were in full time yeah. and the young academy players. So if you went in early doors, you could get there was a wee sort of staff five a side game that would take place in the indoor pitch that was made up of the first team staff, and then sort of players that were maybe left over from from in full time. And then if you were there early from the academy and they needed numbers, you would get to join in. So once obviously my dad got got wind of that, I was in I was in the five a side game four times a week. But obviously that was fantastic because some of the first team players got to know you, um, and obviously the first team staff got to know you. And yeah, it was that that it was it was really really good, and that's obviously when you make the decision that yeah this is for me. I, I definitely want to do this. I could see myself doing this uh, every day, and obviously it was my, my dream to play for Rangers. So it was it was it was fantastic the entire time I was I was there. Yeah, so so how long were you were you at Rangers? Did you did you make up? Yeah, not, or? not long, not long. So it was it was the first time because I only went in at sort of fourteen. Yeah. Uh, I was there until I was sixteen, um, and then obviously at sixteen, it's it's time to make that decision of getting in full time and and who's going to offer you that opportunity. So I was lucky enough, and I had sort of done well enough that quite a lot of clubs from down south were were interested. So obviously. Uh, not by the book and, and not something you're strictly meant to do, but but during the school holidays we would we would go in and train full time at Rangers as the, so all the young sort of under seventeens players would um, at the time, and I was sort of playing up in age group sometimes with the nineteens, and, and you're starting to get an opportunity to train with the full time players and go in and train with the first team a few times at at fifteen, which was obviously a, a phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing well. But on the on the school holidays, sometimes my family would, would go away on holiday. But in reality, I was actually down training with a couple of the English teams that they had asked you down. So I was down in, in the sort of Manchester City, Sunderland, uh, Leeds, Charlton. So yeah, no, it was it was excellent, and, and all of those clubs offered me a, a full time contract of all different on varying different years, as as did Rangers and Celtic had obviously said as well they were. They were willing to do so, um, so we made the decision to go down to England, uh, sixteen, and I actually played in a match for Sunderland against Blackpool, mm. uh, and Blackpool offered me a contract after the game, uh, and, and Colin Hendry was the manager there. They offered us better years and, and what looked like a, a quicker route into the first team, so that was the uh, that was the decision we made to, to take the contract. Uh, down at Blackpool and, and, and leave Rangers, which at the time was was very controversial mm. uh, because people viewed it as a sort of step down uh, in terms of the club. But uh, I soon I soon realised that uh, it certainly wasn't a step down. That's 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 for certain when you get when you get down there and you and you experience the level. So no, that was a that was a decision we made, and, and I think probably in hindsight it was it was still probably the right one. Yeah, so so looking back at your your time at Rangers, was was there any players that you were playing alongside that you remember that have gone on and and had a, a career in the, in the game? Yeah, there's loads. There's probably more that you've forgotten to be honest. People <laughs> you've played against that you don't even know you've played against. If you, if you know what I mean, but yeah, no, at that time it was sort of the crossover shot between the old school and the new school. Yeah, George Adams was was running the academy, so there was still that element of you know the standards and the jobs and. The discipline was was pretty hardcore. Um, I mean, I shaved my head, <laughs> um, and I uh, I was made to train with, with a hat on for a month because that wasn't befitting. Um, so yes, things like that. 
if you were late, you were crucified and all that kind of stuff. But then the, the sports science and, and all that kind of stuff was also coming in. So we, we kind of had the best of both worlds. Uh, and it obviously produced a really, really strong group. So maybe two, three years in front of me, you had guys like Charlie Adam and Alan Hutton and Chris Burke and Barry Ferguson and Stephen Smith and Alan McGregor and probably the best group that's ever came through yeah. um, out of that system. But at my age group, it was it was certainly the player that sort of blew me away, to be perfectly honest, when I went in. He was, he was the best player I'd ever seen at, at, at that age. Uh, it was John Fleck. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Flecky, everyone we in, and I was sort of training with it. I was still on trial. I'd been training there three or four months. And Flecky was the best, the best player I'd ever seen at that age group. And when I say the best, I mean, getting the ball, no exaggeration, playing European teams, Juventus and stuff and tournaments and getting the ball and can buy like, getting the ball in his own half, can buy five players and just smack it in the top corner from 35 yards every week. Every week, every game. Um, I remember they were talking about him that time as one of the best young players in Europe, which you, I still think to this day, he must have been. He must have been. There can't have been loads of players out there better than him. Um, but I'd been training with him for three or four months, and one of the boys turned around and said, oh, God, he's unbelievable, isn't he, for his age? And I was thinking, yeah, well, yeah, he's better He's better than us. He's, which, what do you mean he's unbe- unbelievable? He was actually two and a half years younger than us. Hmm. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, my God, this, this guy's unreal. And then, obviously, he, was, he got into the first team at, 16, 17 but it never really worked out from it Rangers which still to this day was a, a real shame I think it was maybe the, they built him up too much in the end mm. and, and, and maybe it was a wee bit too much pressure but look at what he's, he's been down to England now and showing everybody how good he is been playing week in week out in the Premier League now for, for three or four years and you know he, he should be an absolute certainty for the Scotland squad I think but that's another <laughs> Another another story. So yeah, nah, he was just an absolutely tremendous player, Un- unbelievable left foot. Um, but he was certainly the best, the best youth player I've I've ever seen. Probably playing even even that's going down to England and playing against some of the players that have probably done more in the senior game um, since. But oh god, at sixteen years old, he was out of this world. Yeah. So so in terms of was there any when you were at Rangers, were there any like games that you were involved with that kind of stood out for? For you, or oh, obviously you played Celtic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the it's the big one. Everything's geared around it. Even at youth level, you know mm-hmm. the crowds are absolutely massive. Uh, I mean, you get up to reserve level, it's it begins to get quite tasty and, and, and quite partisan. And yeah, the flares are out and the chants are going, and it's and it's intense, you know. But that's that's what it means to be at that club and. You know, at Rangers and Celtic, it's it's not just about how good you are; it's about who you are, and, and if you can handle that that side of it, and, and you know, you can get top, top, top players can go in there, and, and we'll find it tough. But no, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, loved those occasions. Loved preparing for them, uh, and they were certainly the days that that you looked forward to. Yeah. Um. So you, obviously, you went went to Blackpool. How how did that? How did you find that? Um getting a, like a professional contract and, and and going into the first team how did you yeah I mean it was it was it was different in, in a multitude of ways so it was it was a step down in terms of the size of the club obviously Rangers are, are a worldwide giant um so 
terms of a training ground and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, Blackpool did not have those kind of facilities, that's for certain. Uh, they did not have the same kind of support staff. Uh, but the level, obviously, was was really, really high. Uh, and getting down and training full-time, it was maybe sort of the the realities of the game, maybe you would call it. I think still at academy football, sometimes you're prepared... It wasn't as bad then because, again, still a wee bit of a crossover from the old school and you were sort of taught a wee bit of the the dark arts of a Saturday, mm. um, shall we call them, and that maybe academy football doesn't prepare you for. Um, so there was, there was that adjustment and also the, the attitude and training. Obviously, I've experienced that training with the first team in, uh, in Rangers um, quite a few times, but, but in the full-time environment every day the tempo of training, the seriousness of training, if you give the ball away, hmm. can be a terrifying experience for the first couple the first couple of weeks. I mean, there was a full fist fight on the training ground in my first day. <laughs> um, I had never seen that before, hmm. but it was the, the captain, it was a guy called Michael Michael Jackson. Hmm. At the time, he was just taken over from Peter Clark, who sold in my first week. And he had a, full fight with a, a guy called Klaus Jorgensen who was the, the captain of the Faroe Islands at the time yeah. um, Klaus gave the ball away and Michael was not happy and uh, Klaus sort of told him where to go and it resulted in obviously getting physical and I remember just standing there thinking Jesus Christ I better not give the ball away <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that, that side of it was um, was different the standards the preparation um, you could see the players that stayed in later in the gym and done the extra work. You could see the players that were home at, at 12 o'clock. Um, so, yeah, that, that that was the adjustment, really, dealing with the senior players. And I was obviously in training with the first team a lot. Um, so it was sort of 50-50 training with the first team and training with the, the youth team reserves. So, no, it was really, 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 really good. I loved it. Uh, but I was staying in a hotel on, on the front in Blackpool, which, which again, was, was a different part of the experience. Um, probably one that I would change <laughs> if I went back. I would probably advise them not to get a hotel on the on the front pier of next to the Pleasure Beach. But yeah, that was uh, it. Was fantastic again and, and training with the first team and, and sort of adjusting to that that full time environment. Yeah. Um. So I remember reading up your mention about um, you were you didn't really drink a lot in terms of your your spell at um black. Cool. How how did you find that in terms of the social life aspect of, of being like a player? Yeah, no, I didn't drink at all. Mm. Um, so I, I, I didn't drink a drop. Uh, I had my first ever drink at Blackpool once, um, which was on the team night out at the end of my first my first year, uh, and we trained the day after that, uh, and then I went back to not drinking again. <laughs> for the rest of my the rest of my contract, but now nah, that wasn't that had no impact at all mm. on the social um, element. I was because I'd moved down there. A lot of the guys were, were local. A lot of the guys were Manchester, Liverpool. I was obviously young. They a lot of them had families. A lot of the youth team again were from Blackpool, Liverpool, Manchester. So they were coming in and out to training every day. Yeah, uh, there was a couple of us that stayed there full time. So Wes Hulahan myself yeah. a couple of the sort of uh, youth team lads uh, a lad called Jay Cobbs who came up from West Ham um, from London we all stayed in the hotel full time yeah so we 
always together and, and, and always around each other. So that side of the social drinking never really came into it that much. Yeah. Um, especially sometimes you were with the first team on a Saturday. You might be then with the youth team on the, on the Sunday. At the very least, you were going to watch on the Sunday if you were involved in the Saturday or if you weren't, you know, you were going to watch on the Saturday if you were involved in the Sunday. So you didn't really have the opportunity if you were doing all that kind of stuff to go out and, and drink. Your life was kind of consumed by by football. I suppose the players that were maybe going back to Manchester or back to Liverpool would would probably have done that more so. But but us that were staying in the hotel, we, we didn't really. We, we, we didn't really go out, which might, <laughs> might sound quite strange. Mm. But... Uh, yeah, no, my, my life was just kind of all at the training ground and, and, and at the stadium. My family would come down and visit quite a lot. I was lucky that my friends would come down from Glasgow and, and visit quite regularly. So it was never really something that that I, I, I've even thought about, to be honest. Um, but um, who were the like kind of characters and and do you have any like funny stories from your from your time at Blackpool? No, yeah, there was there was loads, uh, loads of characters. That's for certain. Uh, don't know if you remember for a, a, a Scottish reference, we had, we had Keegan Parker at uh, Blackpool. Um, when I was there, Keegan was a really good player at St Johnson. Oh yeah. Uh, was sort of in and about the Scotland squad, scored a lot of goals in, in the SPL, and, and he went down south. I think he'd possibly been at a couple of clubs, and then he he went to Blackpool. Keegan was a crying player. Um, but yeah, a big personality, I would think, would, would be a sort of understated way of, of describing it. Um, and always uh, comedy, anger, uh, all of that. So yeah, he was get out with Jade Goody, the training ground. But he used to you know, he used to give the manager absolute hell. Um, if he wasn't playing, he was somebody that uh, could cause a few problems. I remember sitting in the canteen and. Him getting into sort of waiting to see the manager because he'd been left on the bench and get in to see the manager and we could all sort of hear the full conversation uh, in the canteen which was getting louder and louder and louder which was followed by what sounded like a a royal rumble going on in the manager's office to then Keegan bursting into the canteen and throwing all the dinner trays over and storming out into the car park and and all these kind of things so yeah. Good, 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 good comedy uh, for the afternoon for us, and then obviously I loved Wes Houlihan. Yeah, so Wes was just yeah, un- unbelievable. Some of the things Wes did was to, to be honest, I used to watch him in sort of shock and awe uh, at the same at the same time. He was an incredible, an incredible player. Um, Wes became the highest. I think he was the highest paid player in Blackpool's history mm. at the time. Uh, he came down from Livingston. So I had quite a quiet first six months to a year and then just was the messy of League One uh, for a season and sort of single-handedly took Blackpool to the championship. It was incredible, uh, some of the performances. But he got a new contract out of that. And uh, Wes didn't drive, so he lived with me in the hotel. I drove. Wes was now obviously the the biggest name in Blackpool. He was the biggest celebrity uh, there, so I would sort of drive him. Uh, drive him around and he would be hanging out the window signing his autographs and all that kind of stuff but when he signed his new contract he turned up outside the hotel in a, a brand new Range Rover <laughs> um, so obviously I thought oh god he's obviously been away and done one of these intensive courses and he's passed his driving test in two days or something <laughs> so I said oh yeah 
tests, all that kind of stuff. No, no, yeah, I've got my test is coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I says, all right, okay, yeah, so insurance, yeah, yeah, I'll get that, I'll pass the test and everything. Right, okay, see you later on, both away he goes, you know. So, yeah, no, he was a, he was a character, didn't train on a Thursday. <laughs> um, that was that was his big uh, his big thing. My dad was was down visiting me. I was injured, uh, where I spent unfortunately a lot of my, my full time career in the physio room. Yeah. And Wes was in the physio room, sort of building building structures out of physio equipment. Uh, and uh, my dad was saying, "You know, Wes, the rest of the team are sort of out warming up. You better get out there, or you're going to get fined or be in trouble." And nah, John, I've decided I don't. Uh, I don't train on a Thursday. I've decided I'm not going to train on a Thursday anymore. So Tony Parks uh, came in looking for him. Tony was the assist- Kenny DeGleish's assistant when Blackburn uh, won the Premier League. Yeah. So Tony came in and, Wes, you know, get yourself out there, blah, blah, blah. Nah, Tony, I'm not feeling great. I've got a strain, blah, blah, blah. So back in that, John, I'm not, I'm not going to train on a Thursday. So unbeknownst to Wes, the manager had organised a fun cricket competition manager loved cricket so there was a a cricket competition we got promoted to the championship this year as well playing playing cricket on a Wednesday or a Thursday <laughs> sorry but the um, Wes obviously seen that the, the cricket was there and proceeded to then sprint across the pitch and grab the bat from the first batsman Tony was there obviously umpiring hamstring strain had gone and that was one of the only Thursdays that Wes trained so yeah he was there was Plenty of characters there, plenty of stories. Obviously, that you can't tell. Probably more yeah. more stories that you can you can. To be honest, but no, it was you spend seventy percent of your day laughing. It was it was brilliant, you know, and the camaraderie in the dressing room, and that's probably what you miss the most. Yeah. Um. So so what what do you recall about your your debut um for for Blackpool? Yeah. So I went down and, and was in training with the first team straight away. Um. We've been in going on a, a pre-season tour uh, to Scotland, ironically, <laughs> uh, which I, which was fantastic for me. So I was selected to go on the tour. Uh, it was obviously really, really excited, telling everybody first game was against Livingston at Almondvale. Um, all the, the family there, all the, the friends and everybody, and I was on the bench and uh, came off the bench maybe, I think, maybe about half an hour ago or so. Obviously wanting to cover every blade of grass and show everybody how good I was instead of sort of playing probably my, my normal game. I wanted to, to be action man and, and do it all. And so I lunged into a tackle. Not a bad tackle, mm-hmm. just a tackle probably that as I was going towards the ball. If it was a normal game, I'd have probably slowed up and just sort of jockeyed and, and, and stood the player up, but I didn't. I sort of accelerated and... I went into the tackle, sort of stretching, won the tackle cleanly. But then when I won the tackle and passed the ball away, I saw a searing, burning pain. Um, went up my knee. Didn't think too much about it, to be honest. Uh, I wasn't somebody that, that would go down easily. Uh, my dad was in the stand. I looked uh, immediately into the stand. I was sort of hobbling. And again, I didn't really show. My, my hero was, was Roy Keane and... And, and, and Barry Ferguson so I was sort of conditioned not to show any any pain and, and certainly not go down mm. uh, if you weren't if you weren't hurt so I was sort of hobbling for a couple of seconds looked into the stand and immediately caught the eye of my dad which is bizarre don't know how that happens when there's that many people there mm. um, and he was telling me to go down he could obviously tell I was hurt but there was no way I was 
I was going to go down uh, on my debut. I, I didn't want to go down and, and have to come off straight away and felt embarrassed. And <clears throat> so anyway, they got a corner. Played on for another five minutes. Really starting to struggle. Ball bounced out to the edge of the box. Their boy sort of came towards the ball. He realised I was going to get there before him. But he got caught in a sort of no-man's land. So I knocked the ball past him and looked up. And it was 3v2. And I remember thinking, we're going to score. I'm, I'm either going to score or I'm going to make the right decision and, and lay somebody else in to score and I'm going to look great. Yeah. And I took one more step and the whole me just sort of collapsed upon itself. Um, and down I went, screaming like I'd been shot in the knee by a, by a sniper on the roof of the stadium. Livingston players obviously standing over me, telling me I'm a diving so and so, and and this and that. So so yeah, no, and then obviously taking off on the stretcher, just absolutely devastated. Just remember being on the stretcher and on on the stretcher on the physio bed in the changing room, mm. um, just crying my eyes out. Really, I remember that, and then just getting put in the ambulance. And you knew it was really bad. Um, I'd never felt a pain like it to be honest at the time. Um, so no, I knew I knew it wasn't good. And then obviously you go away in the hospital and you start to try and you start to sort of move on straight away and digest what's happened and on to the next stage. Yeah, so did you get much more appearances before like um before you found out you weren't you weren't gonna play on? Um, oh yeah, no loads. Yeah. yeah, it was like another three years. Yeah. So like um I went done my rehab, yeah. done really, really well. I was always kind of supremely fit when I was before my injuries, I was winning. I've won every fitness test, break the fitness records. I was, I was potentially maybe too dedicated, doing too much, maybe obsessed. Probably would be the word mm. um, you would use after the injury. I found it much more difficult. Um, I've, I've, I've got a body where I need to, I need to train, in, 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 in order to, to maintain that level of, of fitness and certainly to maintain my playing weight. I'm not somebody that can eat what you would consider a normal UK diet and sit at a playing weight that could play in the English Championship, that's for certain. Yeah. Um, so I had to sort of work really, really hard at my, at my fitness and, and watch my diet. And when I was injured, that was that, I found that really tough, especially when you were isolated away from the group. You can't run, you couldn't do any cardio. It was just gym work. I, I began to hate the gym because it would represent being injured. But, but nonetheless, that first rehab, I'd done really, really well. You've got targets you've got to hit. In order to get back into training, I hit all my targets maybe two months early, um, which was great. So I was back into training maybe six to seven weeks before my sort of scheduled training date. Um, went back, no, no reaction, and then went away to play a reserve game uh, at Stockport and felt fine. Got put on at half time was playing for maybe 10 minutes. We scored. I was playing fullback instead of centre midfield. I was normally a centre midfielder. They had played the ball back for the for the centre and then clipped the normal sort of diagonal that loads of teams play from the centre. I had dropped off, so the winger didn't even chase it. And I just went up to bring the ball down. Nobody near me at all. And as soon as I landed, I knew I had... Uh, I had done it again uh, on the first game back, so that was a that was the real devastator. Uh, to be honest, the second time, you know, you, you don't have the same sort of panicked reaction. You almost instantly know um, 
what's happened and you just sort of sit down and and yeah um think you even start to think for the first time this this might be over you know so that was a a real devastator and then came back up to rangers eventually and then uh done it for a third time mm. and that was uh that was all she wrote, but no, plenty of games sort of in between. Um, but in the end, done both knees, Krusha and Medial, uh, and Carlage. Um, and we sort of failed my medical in the end to, to sign a new contract back up at, um, at Rangers. Couldn't get insured. Uh, decided I would, I would still try and play on and, and study and coach um, part-time, but it was... It was it was never the same, and and after the third one, the fire went out a wee bit. Found it mentally really, really difficult um, to cope with it, to be honest. And had a had a tough couple of years with that. Um, so yeah, no, nah, it was tough. But listen, it's, it's part of the game. You look back on it now; it's just one of these things. I shouldn't have came back early. I should have taken the extra time. It's something I say to players all the time now: don't don't rush it. The rest of your career is more important. Um, and maybe overtrained. Um, maybe overtrained a bit, but yeah, these these things happen, and, and I was lucky to be able to stay in the game. Yeah. Um. So in terms of like, how how did you first get into um in terms of your coaching badges and, and get involved? In yeah, hate, I absolutely hated it. To be honest, mm. uh, <laughs> mm. it was part of the rules, <laughs> uh, which I think is great. Mm. I don't know if we've got a similar system in Scotland now, but down in England at the time, um, players that were full time that were below the age of eighteen had to go through their first uh, FA coaching badge. Um, it's still the same. I was back down in England watching uh, some coaching a couple of years ago and it was uh, they're still doing it, which is which is fantastic. So that was my first introduction to the coaching badges. It was a guy called Neil Bailey, um, who was actually went on to be assistant manager of Sunderland, and Roy Tunks, who was the England goalkeeping coach. I think I said a cap for England way, way back as well. Um, they were the, the tutors that took us. Um, and tried everything I possibly could to get out of it. Really didn't want to do it. Went, in, went into the manager's office and said that I didn't want to do it. Never going to use it. Not interested. Um, also, you had to do the badge so that you coached your own team. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine <laughs> like in, a, in, in a full-time environment what that's like, uh, coaching your own team. I mean, I'd, boys just picking the ball up and putting the ball away as far as they can in the middle of your drill just, just to, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, yeah... It was uh, trying, um, to say the least. So I had no interest in it at all. Um, but was forced forced to do them. Went through them, got my badges. And again, still had absolutely no interest in using them. And it was only then when I picked up my first injury. Um, I was sort of went down into the academy in Blackpool and sort of watched the teams at night. Again, just didn't want to sit in the hotel. Um, essentially, then through my second injury, they actually got me involved in, in helping to start coach the young teams um, which obviously was far better than, than coaching my own team um, and start to enjoy it a wee bit more but still had no inclination of doing it as as a job you just don't think the playing's ever going to end yeah. uh, and, and, and you don't really think of, of anything else but then once you come to that realisation that it's over you, you, you feel as if you don't really know anything else which which obviously you do but you just feel as if your life is so wrapped up in football and you love it so much that it's the next best destination to, to stay in the game. 
um, but you don't really understand it. Obviously, at that point when you when you, when you first go in, you don't understand what's involved. You're just doing and repeating what you've seen previously and, and drills that you've done and, and the way you were handled. You don't really have many ideas of your own, or I certainly didn't when, when I first started out. Um, I was really lucky enough to come back up the road. Morton, which was my local team uh, in Greenock, with some connections um, in there. And I just, again, was getting in helping with the coaching because I was back up. And eventually ended up getting in and taking their, it was under 19s at the time. Um, was the way it was structured in Scotland. So yeah, I was in taking their under 19s at, at 22, um, turning 23. So it was really young, but that was a fantastic experience. Great group of guys, great group of coaches. Um, had a good team. It was a time where they were going through a new sort of um, reconstructing their their youth setup. So it was it was really really good. A great experience. And then I eventually came up to Aberdeen. Um, to continue my, my education and got involved in coaching with the Boys Academy um, and coaching with the community, which was, again, fantastic, learned a lot, and eventually transitioned across to the to the girls um, and was involved with the girls at a high level, um, still am, really enjoy it, and then went back into the the, the senior men's, um, first of all, in the junior, uh, sorry, with the locals at the youth level, and then went in at junior, and now obviously in it at Highland League and hopefully that trend, you know, continues to to go up the way, which I'm I'm sure it will under the under Alan's um leadership. So yeah, no, and no, I absolutely love it now. It's it's my life. It's totally consumed me. Um every hour of the day is, is taken up with it, which my girlfriend is absolutely delighted about. <laughs> uh, so no, yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with it to be honest and I often wonder now if I went back and, and played, would I be a different player? Yeah. Um, because I probably view the game totally differently now than I did five, six years ago. And I'm sure that will continue to evolve and change as we go. But no, it's something that I, I really enjoy. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I've, I've got the opportunity to be involved in it sort of full time with my, my own company now as well, which is which is doing really well. So it's it's, it's all good. Yeah, so so what, what sort of, um, what was the best piece of, of advice have you been given from, from managers in terms of coaching and stuff? I think the best piece of advice I've been given as a, as a player and a coach is well there's two my, my, three actually, so two two will come from my dad that he, he claims that he made these sayings up, obviously they're well known <laughs> uh, but he is adamant that he, uh, he invented them, so yeah, obviously hard work beats skill unless skill works hard, so I love that one got that one up on the uh, on the wall, so that's my, my dad's duo. So hard work beats skill, and my skill works hard. And fail to prepare, prepare to fail. The old classic. Um, so they both from from the dad. He'll be delighted with that. that I've mentioned that. But the um, the main one would probably be only only worry about what you can control. Um, there's so many variables as a player and a coach that that affect directly your result, um, but you have absolutely no control over them. Yeah. Um, you don't have control over an individual player's decision making you don't have control over what the players do away from the pitch to a certain extent you don't have control of the referee's performance you don't have control of the pitch you're playing on you don't have control of, of the weather all these things that affect the, the result on a Saturday uh, you don't have control over you know players, staff, personal problems in their life all, all these things you can try and affect them but you can't 
directly control them and, and certainly not to, to affect the results. So I think I probably previously spent a lot of time worrying about things that I have absolutely no no control or um, influence over. And I think that would probably be good advice for any coach or player because it's pretty stressful existence at times. Yeah. So <laughs> I think if you can limit that stress and sort of clear your mind as much as you possibly can and, and take a step back and sort of try and view objectively, um, not live week to week like a supporter does, try and live quarter to quarter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that would be good advice for anybody. Yeah, so so final final question. So, what are your ambitions in terms of your your coaching? Is there anything you want to achieve, or, or what kind of? Yeah, I mean, everybody asks this question, and people laugh at the answer. Mm. I want to win a Champions League. Who who whose answer is different? Mm. You know, I think any, anybody that sits and says, "Well, I, w- I want to win the Highland League," or yeah, obviously you want to win the league that you're in currently. Yeah, you want to do as well as you can. But if you're asking anybody what their all-time football dream is. It's got to be winning the European Cup or the World Cup, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I, I would think so. Might never happen. But if I was able to, uh, to plan my own track and uh, I got to end up to decide what the destination was, that that would be it. That's for certain. So maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. I certainly believe it could. Um, so, so yeah, I suppose that's maybe all you need—a bit of belief—and and maybe it will happen. But nah, listen, you you want to just do as well as you possibly can. Having a great time at at, at Huntley, um, working with Alan has certainly uh, made me look at the possibilities. Um, I think he's a fantastic leader, fantastic manager. Uh, I've been lucky enough to to watch and, and work with some people who have managed and coached at the top, top, top levels of the game, um, World Cups and latter stages of European um, trophies, and, and Alan's right up there in terms of his, the quality of his work and and the preparation and the attention to detail that he gives um, week on week. So it's something that we're really excited about going forward this season. Um, and we'll see how far we can we can take it, and then we'll see how far we can take it over the next 30 years, 40 years. So we'll see uh, where the journey ends. But no, it's something that, that I absolutely love and, and, and thoroughly enjoy, and I'm sure I'll continue to do so. And, and results and games and atmospheres like we had on Saturday there, only only kick that on so yeah long may continue thanks for listening to the highland league podcast hope you can join me next time for another interesting interview